2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. It's a holiday weekend, but I have a very special episode for you guys. We have an interview with Gail from Top Chef. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Top Chef, the new season just started last week, uh, and I interviewed Gail before the season kicked off, and I'm going to play that for you guys in just a minute. But before we get into that, I have a very special guest. I have my legal counsel here, which is really my roommate from Ohio University, Bryant Greening. Bryant, how are you doing today?
1: Danny, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me.
2: I'm so excited to see you. And I, I gotta be honest, I have so many questions about this Jen Shaw case. It's been really intense and everyone's been asking. We did a whole episode breaking down sort of the beginnings of it, but there's been a lot of stuff happening ever since. So I want to get into that with you. But before I do, I do have to mention one thing. Now, a lot of people... They sort of associate me with Jessica Simpson. And one of the things I always have to remind people is that I actually lived with someone in college, a straight guy who had a Jessica Simpson poster in our dorm room. And uh, it was you, Brian. You had the Rolling Stone Jessica Simpson cover in our room sophomore year. And I'll I'll never forget that.
1: I will take all the credit for your Jessica (laughs) posts for for everything that that you've become because of Jessica Simpson (laughs) right here.
2: Oh, I love it. I sometimes see pictures back from our dorm room, which was just a a complete gross cesspool. But um, there was a Jessica Rolling Stone cover hanging. And honestly,
1: Housewife uh, of the Year, I think it was. (laughs) Right.
2: right. I love that. Uh, Brian, so this case has been really a a lot. Now, this last week, she pled not guilty to the charges. Are you familiar with what the charges are, because I tried to explain, and I don't think I really fully understood. So can you explain to people maybe like, how can we understand it?
1: Sure. Uh, So she's been charged with two counts. One is conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and the other is conspiracy to commit money laundering. So we have to start with what is wire fraud? Um, Wire fraud is when someone engages in a scheme to defraud others using false representations. Um, And then in making those false statements, uses what we call interstate wire communication. Now, that's a big term, but that can be a bank transaction across state lines. It could be an email. So just the act of defrauding somebody over a wire, over a line, can be a federal charge. And that's what she's got, um, what she's facing here. Um, And then money laundering, um, you know, it, it sounds super complicated. We hear about money laundering in, you know, many, whether it's, you know, Walter White or whatever, it's basically just conducting a financial transaction, knowing that the money involved was the proceeds of an illegal activity. So she made money illegally, and then she committed a financial transaction with that cash.
2: And is this a common thing? Like, how often does this kind of situation happen?
1: All the time, federal prosecutors are bringing money laundering charges and wire fraud charges every single day. And Sometimes there's more defendants, sometimes there's less. Here it seems like Jen was part of a a bigger uh, conspiracy.
2: And I should mention you're an attorney, too, so that's why you're our expert here at the legal counsel. I don't know if I mentioned that before. Uh, So is this, do you think these charges were brought upon because she's in the public eye, or do you think these would have happened regardless?
1: They should have been uh, filed regardless of whether she's in the public eye. The The bottom line is she is charged with very serious offenses of defrauding people out of money, tricking people into giving her money. And if the allegations are true, uh, she's going to pay the price.
2: Okay, now it was uh, reported that she was allowed to post a $1 million recognizance bond. What's a recall- I don't even know what that means. What does that mean?
1: So basically a bond is where she's allowed to be out of prison during the uh, initial stages of the case. So she's going to eventually either plead guilty and accept the plea deal, or she's going to go to trial. And until that finality, until we know exactly what's going to happen here, she's allowed to be out in public with certain conditions. Um, You asked about the million dollars. So the judge is saying you need to fork up a million dollars and make that uh, available to the court so that if you run, if you aren't available to face these charges, we're going to keep that money. And it's an assurance that she's going to show up and be a participant, participant in the process.
2: Now, she's on a reality show. Do you think it's smart to be continuing filming? I think it was reported that she can continue working in that capacity. Would you recommend it?
1: If she was my client, I would be telling her to be as quiet as she possibly can be and to let the lawyers handle the case. Um, Now, certainly there are defendants who have won cases in the media. They've um, made such a splash and colored so many different minds that, you know, they win on non-legal arguments. You could see, um, if you remember the old Illinois Governor Blagojevich, he tried to do that. He went on all the reality shows. He was on all the morning talk shows. That didn't work out so well for him, but it is a strategy.
2: So all of the free gen stuff she's posting on Instagram is a strategy in some ways.
1: Uh, It's a strategy, but it's a stretch.
2: Right now the trial is set for October eighteenth. Like why? Why I don't understand. Maybe I'm just stupid, but like why does it? Why is there such a long lead time or lag time?
1: Well, in any criminal case, there's many steps to the process. Before you get to trial, uh, the prosecutors need to hand over all the evidence that they have against the defendant. The defendant um, and and his or her attorneys are able to talk to witnesses, try to develop a defense. Um, The discovery process in and of itself, which is the passing over of evidence, can take some time. Um, A trial date, you know, seven months out is actually not that long.
2: Okay. Now, is there anything else you, you would like to point out about this that's, that uh, sticks out to you?
1: Well, I think we get a lot of questions about this initial not guilty plea. Um, people think, oh, she's taking a stand, she's defending herself. That may be what she ends up sticking with. She may plead not guilty the entire time um, and take this case to trial and see what a jury decides. But I can tell you that most defendants at the initial stages of a case are entering a not guilty plea – They'll see the evidence that's against them, and then their lawyers uh, will develop a strategy as to whether, oh, boy, they got us. We better be looking to make a deal or, um, you know, there's some holes here, and we think that we could sit in front of a jury and and put on a good case.
2: Well, Brian, I'm so glad you stopped by. Is there anything else we should know about this Jen Shaw case?
1: Just keep a close eye on it. I think that the next couple weeks are going to be telling because that's really when her defense attorneys are going to have their ability to sink in um, and dive in to all the evidence and and really develop a strategy. Um, And if she's going to make a a change in plea, you could see that uh, in the coming weeks or months.
2: Oh, so there will still be updates before October, whatever.
1: Absolutely. So she can change her plea pretty much at any time. And, the prosecutors are going to be asking her whether that's on the table, whether now that she's seen the evidence that they've gathered, has had the the chance to sift through all those documents, if she wants to try to work towards cooperation points um, rather than uh, fight this tooth and nail all the way to the end and, and not get the benefit of cooperating early on.
2: You know, I'm sort of fascinated by the fact that her husband is seemingly not involved. And I think to myself, like... Does he know? He must know. Uh, do you think he could know about all this stuff if it was true, if she is guilty?
1: Uh, it's possible. Some people are very good at concealing their crimes and some people work in tandem. And I can't speculate specifically in this case, but I can tell you that there is the opportunity to have a superseding indictment, meaning if there are other people who are um, guilty here or, or who had knowledge of what was going on, they could later be brought into the case.
2: Wow, Brian, I appreciate this. This was uh, so helpful because I don't understand all the legal jargon. I'm an idiot. And, you know, uh, it just it really is helpful. Brian, thanks so much. I love you, buddy. Thank you for taking the time. All right, Danny. Talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye. Look, the weather's getting warmer you got to ditch the jackets, the sweaters, and you got to put on some shorts and tees. And if you're anything like me, you hate getting all the new stuff. But luckily, I've found quince and quince makes it so easy uh, to get clothes. I used to waste my money on clothes that would only last one season. That was until I found out about quince. Now I've got high quality pieces that never go out of style that I'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all of the seasonal must haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos. Those are my personal favorite. I always love getting new polos for the summertime, and they have a fantastic selection. I'm very particular about the collar, and I love the collar on the performance polos that I got. They also have versatile flow knit activewear, and the best part, Sixty five day returns. That's quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash iconic to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash iconic. That's one month for just $1 at Shopify.com slash Everything Iconic. Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash Everything Iconic. Now, that's a great thing. I love using Redfin. I love checking out. If you're buying or selling a home and you, you need some help with that, check out Redfin. Download the Redfin app to get started. I'm here with uh, Gail from Top Chef. I am so, so excited. Gail, first of all, how are you doing today?
0: Thanks for asking. Hi, Danny. I'm excited to hear you, too. Um, I- I'm doing okay. You know what? We're 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 feeling hopeful today. It's way colder in New York than it should be. Um, on this day, but ultimately I feel like there's some light coming through the clouds, you know? Right.
2: I'm here in LA and I have my jacket on because it's really cold here today too. That. Unexpectedly. Um Gail, I gotta say I started watching Top Chef at the beginning of quarantine with my boyfriend, and we binged through eleven seasons plus the two seasons of just desserts. Um, uh, and then we had to take a break. You know, we had to take yeah, a break because I mean, we were like, this is a lot. Um, but we're excited now for the new season to watch like in real time. Um, have yeah. you heard from other people who have sort of binged over this uh kind of crazy period? Oh we've yeah. Been
0: um like a lot, of, you know, everything kind of happens all at once for amazing reasons. And you know, the the sad part of quarantine, obviously, this I mean, there's so many sad things, but uh but the pandemic obviously with lockdown. Shut down the restaurant industry, which was horribly depressing and, and catastrophic, truly. Um, but one amazing small point of light was that our previous season, our all star season, season 17 premiered the week after lockdown began in mid March last year. And I think it did instill some life and escape and hope for our industry, but also just for people at home who were looking to see, you know, kind of goodness and hopefulness and talent do what they do best on the show. So season 17 was really momentous for us in a lot of ways. It was a really exciting season, but I think it the timing of it was really fortuitous that it installed, like, much-needed um, hope and, and enthusiasm into the industry and about the show. And because of it, people then, when the season was over, really started binging the show again. And, and that was really exciting, although... I always feel terrible for anyone who goes back to season one and has to deal with my hair and like, you know, the fashion choices that we all made back then. That's like a whole other podcast, but, but, you know, it was amazing that all of a sudden it, it stirred up everyone's reinvigoration of the show and people were home so much that they started streaming. And then, you know, Peacock launched NBC's streaming service that, um, you know, Bravo is part of. So people all of a sudden had so much more access to all the past seasons um, and Just Desserts as part of it. Just Desserts is interesting because, you know, we, we just did two seasons, but I don't think a week goes by when I'm not asked about it.
2: No, I'm upset. still
0: so engaged with it. It's, it was amazing. I mean, what, it's amazing. It's bizarre what happened?
2: and crazy. What, why aren't we getting another season? What happened? I, I like fell in love with Just you Desserts. Know, I loved it.
0: Danny, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I, that's a question for my Bravo executive, but- I think a number of things about just desserts. We were ahead of our time in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, we shot it in like 2011, 2012, 2000. Yeah. 2011, 2012. I think it's all a bit foggy. Um, but along, you know, it was like a decade ago, which is crazy. I was another person. Um, you know, I was 17 at the time. Now <laughs> I wish. Um, but, uh, I think in terms of pastry and baking competition, we were sort of ahead of our time. And it was an enormously challenging show to produce. Um, you go, know, cause pastry is so different in terms of just mm. the process than cooking savory food, which can all just be done some spontaneously, like and finished within 45 minutes. And you have a full eight course meal and you see it come to life before your eyes. You know, baking is like you mix something and it looks like a blob and then you put it in the oven and it totally transforms, but you can't watch that transformation. And then it comes out and it needs two hours to cool. And then it needs, you know, there's so many steps and it's such a hard process, especially at the level that we wanted it at, because this is not an amateur competition. It has never been an amateur competition, you know, Top Chef for us. So I think after two seasons, there was just so many challenges from a production standpoint that they kind of put it on a pause. However, flash forward to now, and there have been so many amazing baking and pastry competitions come out since our show, some of which by the same production company um, that are award-winning. And they have overcome all those challenges that at the time we didn't have the technology to mm. to face. So I have been lobbying hard to bring it back.
2: Oh my God, I'll lobby right there with you.
0: Join me. Yes, we need to get a petition going. You know, there's so many other outlets for it now, too. It doesn't have to necessarily be on Bravo proper, but now there is Peacock and there's all this original programming um, that's being. And by the way, there it. was
2: there was also so much great drama. Like aside from, um, you know, those yeah. seasons had really great drama, really great oh, characters. Yes. Uh, and Basic I chefs
0: are a unique right. species and so different. I mean, we we thought it was going to be the same thing as Top Chef, just baking, just like cakes and cookie version. And it took on a life of its own, like the characters and the crazy internal feelings of the kitchen. I mean, everything was different. And I think that's why it had its own very specific audience and cult following, like, and still does. So So, I'm grateful that you liked it.
2: Oh, I loved it. And you mentioned your lobbying for it. Have you met with anyone in terms of bringing it back? Because I was actually going to ask you, I know there's been so many different Top Chef incarnations at this point. And I I really do feel like it's something that could and should return. So have you had any actual conversations about it or...
0: I have, you know, it's the same producers that I work with on top chef every year. They're like my second family. You know, we've been making this show for um, eighteen seasons at this point, plus all the spin offs. And every year I mention it in passing to my producers, um, and my agents, and we kind of have a talk about it. I think they're just, you know, underwater trying to figure out everything at the moment. Um, but you're you're inspiring me to get back on the honker. Please. And I you loved know it. get back to it.
2: What was more, what's more fun? is? Uh, do you like sampling the desserts better or do you like sampling the, like, what's better to eat?
0: Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. I'm, people think that, like, first of all, I'm not a pastry chef, right? I'm a savory cook. I was trained in culinary. I'm not a chef, period. I do not run a kitchen. Um, but I'm a savory cook and largely a savory person, but I definitely have a sweet tooth and a really... Um, a really true appreciation for the art of pastry because it is so, so different than savory cooking. And they are just magicians. They are like wizards in the kitchen, the stuff that they do, the science and the creativity is so above and beyond my capabilities. Um, From a tasting standpoint, the thing that I love about Top Chef, is it's our meal. You know what I mean? Like we can sit down every day and when we shoot an episode, we know like it's usually lunch. And so I have a light breakfast, And then we get together and we have this big like family lunch and that's the challenge and that's top chef. And so I feel great at the end of it. And then we go to judge's table and we do judge's table and then it's time for dinner and we all go out for dinner. Well, not in a pandemic, but usually. Um, The thing that I remember about doing desserts that was so um, sort of that caused me to really adjust was that I kind of assumed it was the same. Like I wouldn't want to eat a big breakfast or anything because I knew I'd be tasting treats all day but then i would get to the end of my day and realize like all i've eaten is 17 cupcakes today (laughs) and the sugar crash was so real like i was i would be falling apart like emotionally i'd be like a puddle at the judge's table (laughs) my eyes would be rolling back in my head because i'd be like crashing from the sugar rush that i had been experiencing two hours before like it was like a diabetic threat um So I had to learn to actually eat meals before, like really um, nutritious, healthy meals, because then I would, you know, if not, I would have the sugar crash and then all I'd want is like a giant cheeseburger every day. And like that doesn't make for a healthy lifestyle. So, Um, yeah,
2: if you like them both, but. Uh, if you were, if somebody were to ask you like, what season is your favorite? I mean, you've done so many of them. Is there one you would tell people to kind of go back to and watch or that, that you remember sticks out in your head as being a favorite in terms of like the main top chef, whether it be all stars. Uh,
0: I mean, there's, it's, it's hard because they're also different. Like the thing I love about top chef in general, which I really believe over our lifetime, you know, of making this show, which is at this point been 15 years of my life, um, I think that it has, you know, the uniqueness of it, the, the point that has differentiated it from so many other reality shows, especially in our category, is that every season takes place somewhere new, you know, in a different city around the country, in a different country around the world. Um, and it really plays into the content of the show, almost like a character in itself. And it, it really sets the foundation for the food we cook, the stories we're telling, and what we learn, and what we taste, and like the ingredients, everything. So, and then there's the cast, and they are such an incredible bunch, and there's always such uniqueness to their stories, too. So, I always think back to the seasons, and I think my favorite, like, cast in terms of magic and energy and moment was season six, which we did um, in Las Vegas, and then we went to, to, to Napa for the finale, and that was actually the season we won. Our Emmy for in Outstanding Competition Show. Um, it was the season of the Voltaggio brothers and Kevin Gillespie and Jen Carroll and so many outstanding chefs. There was just like a magic to the chemistry of them. But when I think of my favorite season in terms of city to have visited or place that we went, um, I, I almost always go back to New Orleans, which was I think season eleven because because New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, New it was Orleans just food. Yeah, the best. The best.
2: Uh, Gail, I'm sure you've heard from so many celebrities. I know you guys have had celebrities on the show kind of come in and and guest judge and things like that because so many people are fans of the show. And actually, I don't, do you know Clea Duvall? She's an actress and she directed mm-hmm. Happiest Season. Uh, she was on the show um, in the fall. And she had mentioned you as being a crush of hers because she's a big oh, Top chef fan. And, so um, cool. and that's we were honored. talking, it was like right during my binge. So we like talked about you for like tw- a solid 20 minutes. I had to cut some of it out because, because yeah, <laughs> it was like, it was like a lot of, we were just like gushing over you for a while, but she loves you. But uh, have you, who has surprised you? Is there anyone that's popped in your DMS or that you've met in person that you're like, Oh my God, um, I can't believe.
0: I, oh, so many people like so you know, random it, it, I think Top Chef has sort of shown us that food is such a unifier. Like it doesn't matter where you come from, what you do. And, and in terms of celebrity, what's interesting is, and I hadn't thought about it until we started making the show, is that, you know, celebrities travel an enormous amount for the nature of their job. Musicians, actors, actresses, they are all you know they're all traveling for their work so much they're spending such large chunks of their life in foreign cities you know they have to go to berlin for a shoot or they have to live in atlanta for a year or whatever it is or they're on tour and so they're so vested in restaurants and they just appreciate good food because otherwise there's like nothing to comfort them when they're Mm -hmm. away from home so i'm always amazed that like they're all really dedicated foodies um and, and really are, are so excited to meet us and, and to get recommendations. Like, I mean, everyone from the Jonas Brothers uh, to the Foo Fighters, um, you know, who've all been on the show and who have been so into food, which is really cool. Um, you know, people like Nancy Pelosi. I mean, just it right. runs the gamut. Um, politicians um it was wild it was wild watching their own you know
2: that dc season that dc season where it was like there's so many people in in politics who were coming on the show and uh it's been fascinating to watch is there do you pre-write
0: everybody right do you
2: pre-write those critiques i mean because i would imagine nothing's pre-written
0: you can't i mean you don't know what you're gonna get when you sit down at the table
2: uh, I have, I wanted to play like a quick little game with you. I just have two things here. And I was wondering, Uh-oh. like, how would you, obviously you can't taste this, but these are pretty common things. And I wondered like, what would your critique if you were doing something like a Reese's peanut butter cup?
0: Oh, oh, sure. I mean, like,
2: how would you, how, what would Describe you say it, about
0: critique it? Critique it? Yeah. I would say that the iconic combination truly has um you know made it made it an important piece of culinary um uh, you know classic culinary combination in our universe like it is you 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 can't deny the beauty of chocolate and peanut butter right they work so well together there's the saltiness of the peanut butter and the creaminess of the chocolate and the um, you know and the slight bitterness of the cocoa, which plays so well, um, <laughs> you know, with the nightiness of the peanut. I believe that Arista's peanut butter is also incredibly versatile as an ingredient in other things. Temperature really matters for Arista's peanut butter. Put it peanut butter cup. You put it in the freezer, and it's a crunchy, cold, refreshing snack. You warm it just gently, and it becomes the most epic. You know, ingredient in a s'mores because wow, that's stuff when it's melty with Mm -hmm. a marshmallow and some graham crackers, or when you, um, you know, if if it's just warm and soft and gooey, like there's nothing more satisfying than that.
2: This is why you're so good at your job, Gail. I don't
0: know. I'm just. Um, just I do have one more.
2: I don't know if you've seen this one. we'll just do one more. But this is the the Lady Gaga Oreo Chromatica Oreo.
0: Wait no, show it to me. I haven't seen it. Okay, but I so need. it's oh oh wow, that's and is it is that two or is that one? This, this is two.
2: I have two. They okay, have,
0: okay, cool.
2: They are uh, allegedly the same flavoring as the vanilla Oreo, which is not the traditional okay. Oreo. It's the vanilla yeah. with the cream. Yeah. But they are uh, green centers, um, and sort of a pinkish, orangish um, outside. Uh, it's the Lady Gaga Chromatica Oreo. Um. um how would well, you, how would you describe this to good, someone? There's a
0: there's a lot of good to Lady Gaga and Oreo as a collaboration. I mean, two things that are really important to me personally um, that kind of bridge the gap between childhood and coming into adulthood, and you know what she stands for, which is I like, you know being openly who you are and being true to yourself and being a chameleon and exploring your identity, which I love about her. And these are clearly exploring the identity of an Oreo, Mm. you know, color-wise, um, that's a lot of stuff right there. Um, (laughs) but you know what? That's maybe that's part of it. Like be bold, Mm. be bold, be you. I feel like that's a, a big message in Lady Gaga's, um, arsenal. And I also, think that like a vanilla Oreo flavor is, you know, great, classic, and beautiful. You know, my concern in terms of ingesting it is just what the hell are the ingredients in right. there? Right. Cla- probably just, you know, red dye number 40 yeah. or whatever it is. And, you know, in moderation, it's just fine.
2: What are, the, what are the junk foods you eat in your everyday life? Like there has to be some <sighs> stuff that maybe culinary wise isn't great, but like that you just can't resist.
0: Oh, there's a lot, and especially these days. We're comforting ourselves anyway. We know how Danny Pellegrino, <laughs> um, you know, salt and vinegar chips are, I would say like the kryptonite in my life. Like I cannot turn down a salt and vinegar chip. It's just a beautiful thing. So that's the first thing that like, if it's near me, I have, can't resist. Um, I really like dark, dark chocolate, like the darker, the better. An 85% dark chocolate chunk is all I need at the end of the night. Like a little, a little, breaking off of a piece just completes the day puts the period in the day you know full stop um i like black licorice i'm a big black licorice oh, wow. i know it can be very polarizing um, my father is south african he grew up in south africa that you know was colonized by the dutch and so there's a big dutch influence and so there's like black licorice comes into play salty black licorice um, and he really raised me to appreciate it. And I in turn have ensured that my daughter is not scared of black licorice because P.S., although I love red licorice, that's not licorice. That's mm. candy and that's okay. Right. Um, what else? I mean, what about I'll- fast
2: food? Do you go, would you go uh, through a fast food drive through line or no?
0: Well, uh, full disclosure, no. Truthfully, like I hadn't been in a fast food drive through line in probably two decades. Just had no need for it. During quarantine, you know, you indulge your children in any way you can because you just, number one, feel so badly for the whole damn thing. And also sometimes it's an emergency and you're in your car and you need your kids fed because they have to stop screaming or you're going to lose your mind. So during quarantine this year, we introduced our daughter to a McDonald's drive through And, you know, as you can imagine, she thinks it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, um, yeah. She really loves a Happy Meal. Uh, but it's not my choice. Yeah necessarily for myself. Like I, I love an In-N-Out burger. I, on the West coast, I love Shake Shack on the East coast. Like I'm in that, you know, bougie right. better for you kind of slightly fast food model. I try not to eat any of it too much. I love shake, I
2: shake Shack is my personal fit. We have them both out here and I yeah, personally yeah. love the Shake Shack. Um Okay. In the, in top chef world, I've always been so fascinated by uh, when the chefs create something, we do see footage of that dish, Um, And then we see all of you eating a separate dish. And I always wondered, like, do they make separate dishes for production to film it? Or does production go and recreate it? Like, how does this work? And do tell me that I need to know.
0: This is is a very astute question. Um, And it's surprisingly one I don't get very often because you have to be paying attention. Like, that's a that's a question for someone who's paying attention. Um, Yes. Good question. We do not wait for food. We do not let it sit around. We eat it hot as soon as it's made. So when we say you have two hours, they have exactly two hours, and it doesn't matter if my dress isn't done up or Padma's makeup isn't on. Like, we are at that table, and we are ready for the food to eat it as fresh as can be. In the rules that you don't see behind the scenes is that when a challenge is explained to the contestants, you know, right when Padma says... Uh, What is the line that she says?
2: Uh, (laughs) It's
0: Michelle. Um, When she's
2: introducing the dish or when she's. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like she'll, you know, and it's like, you'll have this many hours, you know, go. And um, we often stop down for a minute and the producers have to take the chefs through the legal rules of each challenge, particularly because there's a lot of questions and we want them to be loaded with all the information so that it's fair and clear what they have to do, the exact time that they get, um, the ingredients that they have. And they also like sign off on these rules to know that everyone's on the same page. Cause when there is miscommunication between production and the chefs that could get really complicated. And so it is always told to them that let's say you're serving for eight or you're, you there'll be eight people at the table. You have to make eight dishes or you're making 200 dishes. They always have to make one more than we, than you see of people eating them. So for example, this season, because of the pandemic, we have um, a judging panel of 12 past contestants, alumni who come back and they are on every episode with us as our diners so that we don't have to ever bring in guest judges because of the quarantine regulations. So they are bubbled with us and we all eat together every meal. So there's 12 of them more or less and the three of us. So there's almost always 15 people eating on every episode in every elimination challenge. So when they are charged with their challenge, they always have to make 16 plates and they okay. know that so that When the timer goes off, 15 plates go to the table and one plate goes to, um, a little section of our production called food porn, uh, which is basically where the beauty shot goes. And there's a whole other team that takes that beauty shot and photographs it and shoots it. And that gets put into the episode.
2: Has there ever been a time where you, where you think that maybe, uh, you have different, a different dish than someone else? Like maybe they plated it a little bit off or something. It, that must happen it happens a all the time yeah.
0: and that's you know it that's why there's four of us at the judge's table because we want the full gamut of experience and often if you know this is this is not a dictatorship um even though Tom may say otherwise <laughs> it's a um you know it's it's a democracy. well it's not a total democracy but you know there is a, a governing body of four of us so that there are there is room for discussion and experience um and often we find you know definitely people plate things differently. They they have to cook for so many people and they have to make so many different duck breasts. And one duck breast might be overcooked. Well, one is perfect and one is undercooked if they're not paying attention. So when they're serving it, I could get a very differently cooked piece of meat than Tom. And that's what we end up um, fighting out at the judge's table of the merits of how that matters, why that matters and who made it best. Um, what also we've seen happen a lot is, let's say um, we use restaurant wars as an example in past seasons, although this season was very different for quarantine generally um, over the years, we've split up for restaurant wars or for different challenges where we're going to different stations and like Padma and I will go to stations together and Tom and the guest judge or whatever the configuration is. And so we're eating at different stations at different times and As the chefs are getting feedback from the different people who are tasting their dishes, they are adjusting as they go. So if I go at the very beginning of the challenge and taste something, it might not be as good as when the chef then has an hour until the other judges eat their food and they've made some adjustments and fixed some issues that they're having. So there can be those those.
2: Discrepancies.
0: Differentiation, discrepancies, variance. And so, again, that's why the four of us, there's always at least four of us or five of us at Judge's table so that we can talk it out. And, like, you know, consistency is obviously key in a dining experience, but then it just becomes like the bigger picture and the merits of that dish and the technique and how to judge the, you know, what is more important in that moment or whatever.
2: This might sound like a stupid question, but have you ever, is there one thing you won't eat or have you turned down a dish before?
0: Uh, it's not a stupid question. I get it a lot. Uh, no, th- no, I've never turned down a dish. And professionally, I couldn't do my job. Like it's right. not about personal preference. Even though there are definitely things that I like more than others. Like we're all human. We all have our aversions and our, you know, our tastes. And and we all feel differently about food, different food. Um, but I know that my job is to be objective and to understand um, if it's cooked well, which isn't necessarily if I like it. Like there's a big difference there. And so, uh, no, I will never, ever turn down anything. I can appreciate all food if it isn't, even if it isn't to my exact taste and that doesn't, but that's different than it not being seasoned properly or if it's being overcooked, right? I understand that the objectivity of technique versus my personal preference for something, um, There is definitely some food that I prefer not to eat or cook in my personal life because it's not my favorite. Like I have this sort of irrational black bean aversion, which I've written about before. And, you know, I acknowledge that it's personal. I got very sick from black beans a long time ago and it's hard for me to get over that. But if someone serves black beans on the show, I'm not holding it against them because Mm -hmm. I once vomited when I was 25 Mm -hmm. because of a black bean dish and maybe some tequila. You know what I mean? So, that's not their problem. And I can still appreciate the quality of their cooking technique and how they, you know, incorporated it into the dish. You know, Padma and I like our meat cooked to different doneness, but we both can appreciate, even though I like it more Mm -hmm. rare and she liked it more well done when it's cooked properly, either way, right? Uh,
2: I want to ask you some questions that people wrote in at the Everything Iconic Patreon. Paola wants to know, what do you have a least favorite and favorite dish from all the seasons? Like, I mean, there's been uh, so many things. I'm sure it's tough, but...
0: Yeah, favorite's really hard because every season we get so much amazing food. And every season I learn so much and I'm like blown away at least twice an episode by a dish. Also, I don't have the brain capacity to remember 15 seasons, five spin spin-offs. 20 plates an episode 15 episodes of season. Like it, the math is right. just it's a lot ridiculous about there's definitely dishes that have stood out in my mind. I mean, Paul key, the winner of our Texas season um, made a dish that I always go back to. That was like a simple sun choke and dashi soup with raw vegetables. That was like so crazy, simple and beautiful. Um, I remember Kevin Spraga, who was the winner of our season of our season seven in DC. We went to Singapore Actually, now I'm wondering if it was even him because it's all really foggy. It might've been one of the runners up on that season who made this like tried banana fritter with sriracha that at the time I I remember
2: that, right?
0: Wow. That was so delicious. You know, um, there's countless, there's countless, countless good things, but, um, least favorite. There's been a number of those too. uh, but there's like a few that were almost inedible. There was an episode, season two, really early on, that the dish was like so salty, I could barely put it in my mouth. And then there was one time in Las Vegas, our season six, when they were out cooking in the desert in like 112 degree weather and the shrimp went bad, cause it was like Ugh. sitting in the sun. And it wasn't necessarily their fault. Luckily, Tom, realized it when he started to put it in his mouth and stopped us all from eating it. So there's like definitely things like that where I was like, Ooh, that could have been real bad.
2: Right. Um, Catherine Phoebe Beach wants to know, where does the extra food go? Does the production step in? If you guys don't finish a plate, like I'd imagine the camera people would just be like, okay, I'll finish it.
0: Um, pre COVID was a different story. Um, nothing got wasted, like nothing ever, um, Yes, like anything we didn't finish, they may not be licking our specific plates, but yes, production, our camera guys, our culinary team would always eat leftovers for sure. And the contestants will eat their own leftovers. Um, obviously this season was very different. We could not share plates within our, amongst ourselves, let alone with anyone else. Um, so the food on our plates was always uh, put in the garbage for safety reasons, obviously. Um, but there's also a lot of, of raw ingredients that don't get used. You know, they have to stock the pantry for anything that the Mm. chefs might dream up, but they only end up doing what they do. So there's always so many raw ingredients, dry ingredients, a pantry of food, Um, and perishables that, you know, that beautiful bounty of fruits and vegetables in the kitchen that after three or four days need to be changed out to always look beautiful. And we never let that go to waste. And this year, we were in Portland, and we partnered with a food bank there and a church that had a soup kitchen and made sure that all of that food was delivered um, several times a week so that it was all being put to good use a lot of people out
2: there. The service industry has been hit so hard, like you mentioned, and I wonder what advice would you have for people uh, who might want to help? I mean, I I assume takeout and things like that. What what can you tell people?
0: There's a lot, you know, uh, this year has been so, as I said, catastrophic, really, it's like the collapse of an industry, like watching, watching your friends just fall apart, their businesses, their decades of work in minutes, just shut down completely. And luckily, relief is on the way, at least partially, like literally this week was momentous a year to the day later um, and arguably many months too late. But it's something, and we're extremely excited about it. Um, and that's thanks to the Independent Restaurant Coalition uh, that really lobbied in Washington to get this this act passed. Um, so thank you, President Biden. But uh, at the same time, and so it's it's overwhelming to think as a citizen what you can do and yes takeout is still really important locally um takeout delivery try to use apps that are not taking the big fees off the top Mm. from them so there's definitely um apps if you can use um or placing your directly where the businesses see the money as you know maximized as possible um and and then giving and donating if there's like relief funds for local restaurants Um, you know, in my neighborhood, I know a lot of restaurants have set up relief funds for their employees and also, um, are selling merchandise, you know, hats, shirts, or are selling, um, you know, a bunch of the great little wine bars and cafes in my neighborhood have turned into provision, places for provision. So that's where I'm buying my wine because they're selling it at wholesale prices. That's where I'm buying some pantry staples. Um, and then just spreading the word. If you had a good takeout experience, tell your friends. Uh, post about it on social media, give mm. them a great review. Like it all matters. And I know it's appreciated whether it's $5 or $500. Um, I just think that restaurants need our love and support and need to know that if they're going to go to all this work to rebuild that we're going to be there on the other side.
2: It's interesting you mentioned about the the uh, delivery apps because I feel like most people don't do, they think it's so easy to just hop on that app, but it is important if you could call the restaurant directly and you can either pick it up mm-hmm. or get it delivered through them directly, it's really important. Yeah,
0: there's a couple of uh, really great apps. It's all still online. Um, I know there's one called Toast and there's one called Chow Now like that I know are really doing a great job of making sure that the minimal of charges or of fees you know, are going, are not going to the restaurant. So the restaurant are really managing it themselves and getting the most so that they're not losing money by doing takeout, you know?
2: Gail, I feel like I could talk to you forever, and I don't want to keep you much longer. So I just, I want to want to try to Happy wrap this to up. But you. this uh, was such a delight for me. I'm so impressed uh, by all of the work you you've done, and I love you guys. Like you and Padma and Tom, to me are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of Bravo, and I love my Bravo. But I'll like, take
0: it after take watching
2: it. <laughs> after watching we so are, many you know, seasons. It's lucky. so good.
0: We feel good about the fact that like we truly love sitting down to dinner together, and we get to do it a lot, and that especially this year has been like the greatest gift for all of us to be able to sit down at a table like we used to do and, and just talk about food and and support the people we love, you know?
2: You've obviously had such a successful run on the show. Like what, what do you still dream about doing? Are there more books you want to write or, or what, what's like sort of next on your bucket list?
0: Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, where to start? I'm just like overwhelmed by getting through each day, but I will say one of them was realized this year on Top Chef that we haven't talked about that I'm really excited about for the future is that we made another show while we were out in Portland that will air later this year after Top Chef airs called Top Chef Amateurs. And it's the latest sort of spinoff of the show. But I think it is, like dessert, it's really unique and special, even more so in many ways because it's so, so personal. Uh, Top Chef Amateurs was born out of quarantine, really Uh, We've never had an amateur level to our show, right? Top Chef, unlike any other show, is like 100% about professional restaurateurs and chefs at the highest, highest level. But this year in quarantine, everyone just became such incredible home cooks that you can't discount that and that experience and what home cooking means now. Like it's totally different than it was a year ago, right? Um, people are like running bakeries out of their homes and make, recreating 17 course menus from their, it's just, like unbelievable. And so it was time to, to bring home cooks into the top chef fold and we created top chef amateurs to do that. Um, there, it's about mega fans. I mean, truly mega fans who know the brand as well as I do, sometimes better. And, um, we bring them into the top chef kitchen and every episode is two different home cooks, really talented home cooks. Come into the Top Chef kitchen and really get like a day in the life of Top Chef. We put them through what it's like to walk into that kitchen, to do a challenge, to face off against a fierce competitor, and to stand at judges' table with us. And we're bringing back a lot of alumni to assist them to judge them. So there's like a lot of you know all-star faces that come and make that experience really special. And remember that the people we shot with had literally not left their houses in nine months, right? And they. You know, they flew to us, quarantined for a week to spend a day in the kitchen with us. So was a lot of tears <laughs> uh, from uh-huh. me, from them, like tears of joy. Um, and also just seeing what these chefs are capable of, you know, in the time we give them. And having never set foot in this crazy kitchen that's like really for professionals, uh, they were amazing. And and a lot of these people, there's like teachers and, and frontline workers that like their stories are so cool. And I don't know, it was just, it was beautiful. So I, I can't wait, wait for everyone to see it.
2: Gail, the last two questions I ask everyone, um, uh, what's your favorite Mariah Carey song? And then also, if you were choosing for People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive, who would you choose?
0: God, God, those are good questions. One, Mariah Carey, I mean, like, I mean, that's a big big, um, (laughs) anthology of work. Um, I, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is like, All I Want for Christmas is You because Love Actually um, it's A in classic. my head all year round, all year round. Um, maybe that's low hanging fruit, but it's there. Um, although what's the one that's in my head? Fantasy. Fantasy is that so one? good.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: And I remember like the video was like, amazing. The roller um, coaster
2: ODB remix is great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like just iconic. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'll take those. And then second is Man Alive. Whew, Wait, who is the Sexiest Man Alive this, year, this I, year? I think it
2: was Michael B. Was it Michael B. Jordan? I think. Yeah,
0: it might have been, and he's yeah. up there for he's sure. He's gorgeous. Um, uh, Patrick Stewart is a weirdly, you know, iconic regal gentleman that I've always had an allegiance for, uh, I love so that. he's up there. Um, and then I would say, oh my god, all the men, all the men. <laughs> <But it's, laughs> Strange. I please, love Patrick um, Stewart. I love that answer. question. I know that's a weird question. It's not that I want to see him with like a shirt off. It's no, just I get it. I dead. love that. He's just always been my guy um, for, you know, cause I'm a Star Trek nerd. Um,
2: whew. That's good. That's good.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I yeah. feel like there's obviously a lot more, a lot others I can say, and I'm just, you know, overwhelmed yeah, it's and blushing perfect. At the thought of
2: it. it's perfect. It's uh, perfect. Gail, is there anything else you want to leave people with anything else you want to promote um, before I let you go? Obviously, I um, saw the premiere and I thought it was excellent. It didn't I mean, oh, I know good. you guys went through so much to film it during the pandemic, but I thought it was just fantastic and it didn't feel like we missed anything. It it was wonderful. So I, I can't wait for the rest of the Thank season. Thank you.
0: You know, I, I think this season's really honest. We address the pandemic, we address this moment in history for restaurants, for people at home, for people's experience, which can't be underestimated in all sense of the word. Like we we try to face the problems of our time head on through the lens of food. And that includes everything from, um, you know, the pandemic to Black Lives Matter to, um, you know, like all of the most relevant things that are happening in conjunction with eating and how we experience, you know, how we how we make our eating choices. So I hope that everyone finds it as joyful as we felt making it.
2: Oh, good. Well, Gail, thank you so much for taking the time. This was truly such a pleasure for me. Take thank care you, and Dani, be safe. And I'll
0: keep you posted about Top Chef desserts if I get any closer.
2: I'm going to we're making it happen because I need it.
0: I might call on you to sign that the yeah. yeah.